Well, good morning, church. Man, that was quite an intro, wasn't it? That was like James Earl Jones wannabe. So uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Hey, one of our core values here is that we celebrate stories, and we love to celebrate God's big story, and we love to celebrate the little stories that God's doing in our lives. And I wanted to share real quick with you before we jump into our message, uh, a story, a story about a boy and a girl, a boy and a girl that got married 64 years ago today. And out of that marriage came three kids, and out of that came wonderful stories. And so we want to say happy anniversary to Norma and Jean Davis, and for 64 years. And uh, that, is, that is just an amazing testimony, 64 years of marriage. And so if you're young and married, uh, I would encourage you to invite them out to dinner and go have a conversation with Norma and Jean and say, how did you do it? right? Like have a conversation with them, take them out, have a meal with them and just say, hey, what's the secret to 64 years of marriage? And they're going to share some wonderful things with you. I know they would do it because I know Norma and Jean enough to know that they would love to sit down with you, have a meal with you and talk about uh, how to have a wonderful marriage. So Norma and, and Jean, thank you so much for modeling for the rest of us what a Christian marriage looks like. And uh, we appreciate that. So let's give them another hand uh, for 64 years. So I want to uh, just say today that we are starting this brand new conversation. It's a four-week conversation that, uh, about the life of an Old Testament prophet named Elijah. And, uh, and so we're calling it Elijah, A Tale of Ridiculous Faith. And the purpose of this conversation is to allow the teaching of God's word to filter into your life and to build your faith. Uh, and my hope is that is to give you a ridiculous amount of faith. And so I don't want you to forget that you can follow along in your YouVersion Bible app if you, if you have that, and, uh, or you can turn to your Bibles today to 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, that's where we're going to dive into Elijah's story. And uh, before we do, let me just give you some context uh, surrounding uh, Elijah and who Elijah was. And, and first, you, you may be familiar, or you know a guy named Elijah, and, uh, and some people get Elijah confused with Elijah, and it, it's rightfully so. They're just like one letter off from each other. And, uh, and Elijah was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament as well, and he was bold, and he was daring, and he was full of faith. And Elijah wanted to be like Elijah. He wanted to be that bold and faithful prophet being used by God. And he was even ridiculous. Elijah was even ridiculous enough to ask God for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And, and God, in his sovereign uh, wisdom and will, he, 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 he gave what Elijah wanted. And he gave Elijah, who studied under Elijah. Can you imagine that? It's the Elijah and Elijah show, right? And, and they studied under Elijah, and, and God gave Elijah a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And here's something even more ridiculous. As you get to know Elijah, and as you read his story, Elijah performed more recorded miracles in Scripture than anyone else except for Jesus. So Elijah was a pretty powerful and special prophet. And what's interesting about Elijah is that he was just an ordinary guy. 
Like Elijah was just a boy that grew up on the farm. Uh, he, he wasn't the son of a priest. Uh, he wasn't someone, some spiritual giant of his time. He wasn't like uh, picked out like David was at a young age to be a king. Uh, he was just an ordinary guy. He was just an ordinary guy that lived at home with his parents, who worked on the farm, who God called to do something amazing. And he lived during the 19th century BC uh, in a time when Israel was divided. So there was great amount of tension going on. And the people of the time, they were choosing to worship a God named Baal. And, uh, and, and God raised up this ordinary farm boy to do some extraordinary things throughout his life. And, and we're going to start our study today in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to read a few verses. We're going to read verses 19 through 21 together. So again, uh, open up that Version Bible app, open up your Bibles, and, uh, and let's read together uh, the calling of Elijah, God's calling on Elijah's life. And so here's what it says, starting in verse 19. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elijah, Elijah went from there and found uh, Elijah, the son of Shaphat, and he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back, and he took his yoke of oxen, and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Now somebody say with me, that is the beginning of a ridiculous story. Thank you, one person. Let's try again. That's the beginning of a ridiculous story. Say it. <laughs> Are y'all awake? You're awake. It'll be okay. And so, so this morning, I want to show you, uh, I want to begin to show you the ridiculous commitment of faith that Elijah had. And I want you to, I want to help you apply it to your lives, this idea of a ridiculous faith. And let's start by looking at verse 19 again, because in the middle of the verse, it tells us what Elijah's up to. And it says that Elijah was plowing, Right? And so we got a plow here, thanks to Greg McGlone. We got this uh, wonderful plow here. I've never used a plow. I don't even know how to use it. I know you probably hook the animal up there and you hold on the handles back here and you do your thing. But because uh, I'm not a farm boy, I'm a city boy. So uh, I don't know these things. But, but Elijah was plowing with 12 oxen and it says that he himself was driving the 12th pair. And what we'll notice is he was doing the same job that he had been doing for a long time. That Elijah spent a good part of his life growing up behind a plow, that day in and day out, you would find him in the field taking a care of the plow and plowing the fields, and that is what he did uh, during that season, during the right season, is he would plow, and he, and he would work for his parents on the farm, and he would just drive uh, the yoke of oxen behind, behind them, and, and I want you to imagine this. Can you imagine the monotony of being behind a plow every day in the right season, and can you imagine the smell of being behind those oxen every day? And can you imagine the view? Like, we got a view for you. Like, this would be your view every day. Can you imagine that? I mean, what, an, what a view. 
that you would just be plowing every day, hoping not to hit that big rock, smelling that wonderful smell, looking at that team of oxen's butts all day long. Now, some of you may feel a little bit like Elijah. Like you're not looking at ox butts all day, but, but you're doing the same thing day in and day out. And maybe you're like, it's a little monotonous. Like maybe you're like, it's a little boring. I do the same thing every day. Like maybe you're going to the same job and you're with the same people and you're like, I feel like I'm just staring at ox butts all day long. And, but by the way, don't go and call your, your coworkers ox butts, okay? And don't tell them that your pastor told you to go call them up. That's not what I'm saying. But th- that's how you feel, right? Like it's just the monotony of doing the same thing every day. And some of you might be in sales day in and day out. And your whole goal is to make your quota. And once you make your quota, like the clock starts all over again. And you got to just make your quota again. And then that, you finish that and you start all over again. And you're like, this is so boring. Like there's got to be more to life than this. All I ever do is try to live up to this standard of meeting this quota. And once I do, it just starts over again. Or, or, or think of, of those of you that are parents. I mean, what do you see all day long? You see diapers, you see laundry, and you see diapers. And then you see more diapers, and you see more laundry, and you see more diapers. And throw in some dishes in there. And, and you start to think it's incredibly easy to lose your passion when all you see are ox butts all day long. And I think this is kind of where Elijah was. Like Elijah had a dream. He wanted something more. It's kind of like Luke Skywalker, if you saw the first, the original Star Wars movie. And, 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 and all he wanted to do was be a pilot. Like he spent every day on the farm dreaming of being a pilot in the galaxy. And, and, and he spent all day pining for something else. And, and this is kind of the feeling that I get when I read about Elijah. But I want you to notice something about Elijah. Something I think that's really important is that he was faithful in the task at hand. Like he kept his hand on the plow. He kept doing the hard work. He kept working on the farm for his parents. And I believe this. I believe that God loves to reward those who are faithful in the little things. And when we're faithful, when you're faithful in the little things, then God can trust you with much. But we have to be little. We have to be faithful in the little things. And Elijah, even though it might not have been his favorite thing to do, even when that time came, when he knew that time was coming, when he had to get behind the plow again, he had to stare at the ox butts, and he had to plow the fields, he knew it was coming. And even though he did not like it, maybe, and maybe it was incredibly physically draining on him, or maybe it was even emotionally draining. Like, he just like, this was, maybe, like, I cut the grass, it's therapy for me, but plowing a field day in and day out, that may not be so uh, therapeutic. But in the midst of it all, Elijah remained faithful. He was faithful. And, and, And in the middle of the daily routine, God sent something to take him from where he was into a ridiculous place of impact. God took him from the field where he was doing the hard work of plowing the fields and he took him out of the field and he takes him to do some things in his life that were ridiculously faithful and had a ridiculous impact on the world. The end of verse 19, it says this, that Elijah, Elijah, 
his, his role model, the person he always wanted to be, Elijah, went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now, Elijah, this great man of God that Elijah would have looked up to and would have dreamed of meeting one day, would have been like his prophet rock star, would have been on his bucket list of people to meet, came up to him while he was in the field and threw his cloak around him. And you wonder, what does that mean? What's the importance of it? I mean, it's got to be important. It's in the Bible. Like, why is that so important? Why would Elijah come and throw his cloak around him? And, and I think this is a huge moment. This is a huge moment for Elijah because this is the moment where Elijah is passing the mantle, right? Like this is the moment where Elijah is taking and saying to Elijah, I'm putting my covering on you. Uh, you and symbolically saying that which has covered me will now cover you. That which God has done in me, God is now going to do through you. That which I was under, now you will be under. And he's basically telling Elijah, he's like, you're going to be my student. I will be your mentor. You will be my, you will follow me and you will learn from me and you will be a great prophet. As God has been working through me, Elijah said, now God will begin to do a work through you. Now let's pause for a minute. And I want us to apply this to our lives because let me show you two principles Two principles of ridiculous commitment. And I want you to watch how this ordinary man, how Elijah, the farm boy, responds to this extraordinary calling on his life to go and to be one of God's great prophets. And the first thing I think that we can see from this, the number one thing is this, that God is going to call him to follow Elijah. He's going to call Elijah to follow Elijah. And he's not going to know all the details. Like Elijah doesn't know the next, he just knows the next step. He doesn't know the step after that or this. He doesn't know all the details. He doesn't know that what we're doing on Tuesday at 8 a.m. He doesn't know what we're going to do on Friday at 6 p.m. All he knows is that Elijah has just shown up while he's plowing the fields and said, hey, you're going to come and you're going to be my student. And so if you're taking notes, I want to, I want to encourage you to write this down, that you don't have to fully understand or you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately when God calls you to do something you don't have to understand you don't have to know all the details to obey immediately so when God called our family to come to Kentucky we didn't know all the details we knew there was a church called warehouse church we happened to know the pastor of the church we happened to know the community because I had a good friend that lived in the community, but we didn't know all of the details. We didn't know how we were going to find a house. We didn't know where we were going to live. We didn't know uh, what it was going to look like. We didn't know any of the details. We just knew that God was calling us to eastern Kentucky. And I just want you to know that if you're going to have a ridiculous faith, that sometimes God's going to call you to some things, and you don't have to fully understand all the details to obey God's calling in your lives. Look at uh, verse 20 with me. Elijah puts the cloak around, Elijah puts the cloak around Elijah, and then what does Elijah do? The Bible says that he ran after him. He simply said, let me kiss my mom and dad goodbye, and then I'll come with you. He's like, I'm done with the horse or the ox. I'm done with the plow. I'm going to go with you. 
And I want you to notice that, that Elijah doesn't stop in the field. He doesn't stop what he's doing and say, well, Elijah, that's really cool, but I think I need to take some time and pray about it. Like, I need to go to my prayer uh, room and I need to pray about it. Elijah, Elijah doesn't do that. Uh, he doesn't say, you know what, I need to make a list of pros and cons. Like, I mean, my, mom, my parents got a lot to do on the farm. I got I to gotta list out my pros and cons of what's going to be uh, advantageous and what's not. He doesn't make a list of pros and cons. He doesn't even say, you know what, time out. I got to go and I got I to gotta consult my spiritual counselor. He doesn't even do that. What all he did was say, God, I believe that you're in this. And I don't know the details, and I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know what my life's going to look like a week from now, two weeks from now, two years from now, but I believe you're behind this. And if you're calling me to do something, then I will obey, and I will obey immediately. I won't obey just when it's convenient for me. I won't obey when the timing's right, but I'll obey because you've called me to do this thing. And I want you to know that this is often how God's lead, God leads us. He, re, he will rarely give you all the details up front. Like God just doesn't do that. He doesn't work that way. He doesn't give us all of the details. He doesn't say, listen, if you move to Kentucky, this is what's going to happen. I got a house for you uh, already picked out. I got, I got a, a job for your wife already picked out. I got all this stuff. Uh, you don't have to worry about it. Here's what's going to look like on Tuesday. Here's what's going to look like on, on, on Friday. God doesn't do that. He wants, uh, uh, we want all the details. We want to know everything. We're like, well, God, before I make this decision, before I take this leap, I got to know some things. Like, I got to know what it's going to look like. I got to know what it's going to feel like. I got to know who I'm going to meet. I got to know this and that and the other. And, and, but God doesn't do that. He's, God often looks at us and says, you know what? You can't handle all the details. Like if I told you everything, if I showed you everything, you probably wouldn't show up because sometimes there's going to be some struggle when I call you to do some things. Sometimes it's not always going to look like it's working out to your advantage. And so I'm not going to, I'm just going to show you the next step. I just want to see you be faithful and take that first next step. And when you take that next step, then I'll show you the next step. And when you take that next step, then I'll show you the next step. And God's promise is like, I'm not going to show you everything up front, but I promise you that I will be with you every step of the way if you'll just be obedient and follow me. And here's what I've discovered. I've discovered in my own life that God will often guide us with just one word. Like, God knows that, that we're, we can make things complicated. God knows that we'll take things and we'll run with it. And so oftentimes, God just leads us with one word. I mean, sometimes that's all we get. In the Old Testament, whenever God was giving Moses directions, you could almost summarize the directions in one word. It was go. It was go. Or Abraham, look at Abraham. What, what word did God give Abraham? Go. Like, I want you to go, and I will, make, uh, I will bless you. You will, be the, the, you will be the father of many nations. But here's your word. It's go. And how about Peter in the New Testament? Jesus is in the ocean walking on water, and Peter's like, that's ridiculous, right? He's like, guys, do you see this? There's this guy walking in the water, and then Peter finally is like, hey, Jesus, if that's you. Like, he's not even convinced it's Jesus. He's like, Jesus, if that's you, Tell me to come to you. And Jesus gave him one word. And what was that word? Come. And Peter 
got out of the boat and he starts to walk on water. Did Peter know all the details? Absolutely not. Did Peter know that God was going to, that Jesus was going to keep him afloat? No, he didn't. Did, did Peter know that there were rocks where he could walk or weren't rocks or was he going to walk on fish or what was it going to feel like or what was it going to look like? No. All Peter knew was that Jesus said, come. And he hops out of the boat and he begins to walk towards Jesus. So oftentimes God's like, I'm not going to give you all the details. I just want you to follow me. Some of you may hear one word from God. And I, and I don't know what that word will be, but you might. You might hear one word from God, and, and maybe your marriage is struggling right now, and maybe, maybe you're thinking about calling it quits. Maybe you're thinking about throwing in the towel, and you hear one word from God in your prayer. As you're praying to God, God, rescue my marriage. God, save my marriage. God, would you just help me? I don't know what to do anymore. And you hear one word from God, and that one word is stay. And you're like, I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know what is going to happen. But I hear God call me to stay, and I'm going to be obedient. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. I think this is so huge for us to understand if we're going to live a life of ridiculous faith. Some of you might have a health situation, and it doesn't look good, or maybe it's someone that you love and God has given you one word in your prayer life as you're praying and you're praying for either the health in your own life or the health in someone's life that you care about and you hear one word and that one word is to trust. And God is just saying, trust, trust me, trust me in the midst of this craziness, trust me. And so you hang on. You hang on to that one word and you don't give up, but you trust because you heard God say to you, trust and because you have a ridiculous faith and you're ridiculous enough to believe that God is in control, you trust in the midst of that situation. Some of you have been hanging around church for a while. Some of you have been hanging around warehouse church for a while. And you're kind of like starting to grow in your walk with God and your faith is growing. And, and you're learning to live this life of ridiculous faith. But you're sitting there and you're observing like you've been sitting in your chair and you've been watching it go on and you've been watching other people and you've been watching how other people act and respond and, and God may be giving you one word and you may be praying. You hear us every week at the end of the service say, take your next step and you're like, man, I, what's my next step? And you've been praying for it and your next step, you hear God say one word to you and that's commit and that's commit. Stop being a spectator. It's time to get in the game. It's time to start serving. It's time to start worshiping. It's time to get up out of your seat and do something. I want you to commit. And so you're like, well, I want to have a ridiculous faith, God. I want that faith that Elijah had. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen. I'm going to obey immediately. I'm not going to weigh it all out. I'm not going to make a pros and cons list. I'm not going to say, but how do I serve? If I got to work every other Sunday, how do I do that? You're like, God said commit. So I'm just going to get up off my chair and I'm going to commit. So some of you are going to hear one word from God and you're going to be crazy enough. You're going to be ridiculous enough to say what Elijah said, and that's, I don't know what all the details are, and I, but I do know this, that if I'm going to follow Jesus, if I'm going to have this ridiculous faith, I must obey immediately. 
Without knowing all the details, I must obey. And so that's thought number one. That's thought number one. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And thought number two is this, and you might want to write this one down too, is that those God uses the most are the ones that hold on the least. Those God uses the most are the ones that hold on the least. Watch what Elijah does in verse 21. It says, so Elijah left him and went back, and, and he took his yoke of oxen. Okay, these were animals that, that brought about his livelihood, right? These ox, uh, oxen, they were, the, they, they, they were the bread and butter of the farm. Like, they did so many things on the farm. And, and what does the Bible say that they did to the oxen? The Bible says that he slaughtered them. Like he killed their livelihood. He slaughtered the oxen. And then what did he do with the plow? It says that, Scripture says that he burned the plow equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. He took this instrument that was, was so key on the farm, this instrument that, that prepared the soil and the ground for crops and he lit it on fire and he burned it. So they could have a bonfire so that they could cook steak for their friend, for his friends. And then after he had this meal, it says that he set out to follow Elijah and he became his servant. And I think this is ridiculous through and through. Like, why would you burn the oxen and, or, or why would you kill the oxen and why would you burn the plow? God is calling Elijah to follow this great prophet so that he might become a prophet like him, maybe even greater than Elijah. And so what does he do? He kills the cows and he burns the plows. And that's ridiculous. And maybe, maybe we can even understand, or maybe we can wrap our heads around uh, slaughtering the cows. Because whenever God would do something, right? Whenever God would do something, people would often make a sacrifice. I mean, that wasn't uncommon that God did something and then you, you had a party and you, you sacrificed the animals and you ate. I mean, look at the, the prodigal son in, in the New Testament. When the, when the lost son comes home, the father does what? He kills the fatted cows and he throws them a big old barbecue, a party. So that we might be able to understand, but... And you can kind of see where that goes, but the whole idea of burning the plows, it's almost like Elijah saying, you know what, I'm burning plan B. Like there is no more plan B. Like there's, there is only God, there's only plan A, and God has called me to become a prophet, and so I'm never coming back to the plow. I'm burning the plow. This is done. There is no more plan. There's no backup plan. Like there's none. And, uh, and so I'm going to do this thing. And, and we see this often in Scripture when people are so moved by God that they do ridiculous things to follow God. They do things that we're like, what in the world were they thinking? Like whenever Jesus encountered Peter for the first time in Luke's gospel, if you go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, the gospel of Luke in the New Testament, you'll read about this. And Peter, he was having a bad fishing day. Like he had caught zero fish. Like it was not, this was Peter's livelihood. Like this is what he lived off of. It wasn't like going fishing on Saturday just for fun, catch and release. Like this was his livelihood. And Peter had caught zero fish that day. And so when you catch zero fish, that means zero dollars, which means you can't pay the rent. And so Peter's having a horrible fishing day. And, and, and so Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, 
Why don't you cast your nets on the other side of the boat? And Peter's like, listen, I hear that you're some great rabbi. I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing. You don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus is like, Peter, just do it. Just take the nets and throw them on the other side of the boat. And so Peter, and you can imagine because Peter's kind of a hothead, he's got all kinds of things and comes back, come back so he could say to Jesus at this moment, but he doesn't. He just grumbles to himself, talking to himself, throws the nets over on the other side. And the Bible says that he caught so many fish that the nets started breaking. Like, I, don't, I want you to imagine, he didn't catch like 10 fish. He caught hundreds of fish in that net. Like when he caught the fish, the boat begins to tip over to one side. And the nets were full of fish and they start to break. The, the ropes were breaking uh, on this net. And Peter's response is like, whoa. He's like, whoa, you, who are you? He's like, you are a man. Like his tune has changed. He's no longer Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about. But Peter's declaring that he is Lord in this minute. And as Jesus looked at him, he said this. He said, Peter, from now on, you don't have to just catch fish. From now on, you can fish for people. You can be a fisher of men. And then what the Bible says next is something just crazy. And it's just as crazy and ridiculous as burning a plow and killing the cows. Because the Bible says that in that moment on the beach, when the fish are filling up the net, it says that the disciples left everything and followed Jesus. Now, we often zip right by that. We're like, oh, that's a neat story. That's really cool. Uh, and, and we use it as sermons. You should follow Jesus and Jesus should, you know, you should do that. But I want you to think about this, like really contextualize this in your own life. Jesus says, follow me. And he means that he wants you to leave your job. It's not just putting your house up for sale. It's just shutting the door and leaving. It's like you get to leave your job, the one that you trained for, the one that you got a major in in college for. He's saying, leave your house, shut the door, leave your family, leave your holler, leave your church. He's like, you leave everything to follow me with two words, follow me. And they left everything. The Bible says the disciples left everything to follow him. That's ridiculous. Like, that's crazy to think of. How would you respond if God called you in your prayer and said, it's time for you to go? He says, I want you to go and I want you to move to South Africa. And you've got time to think about it. Like, it's time to go. And the disciples left everything and they followed him. And there are some of you that God is going to speak to and he is going to give you a burning faith. He's going to give you a plow burning faith. And let me just preface this by saying, make sure that God is the one speaking to you, right? Like you always got to make sure that God is the one speaking to you. God's never going to call you to do something that would be uh, unholy. God's never going to call you to do something that would be illegal. God is never going to call you to do something that would be unjust. So you got to make sure that what God, that it's, it's God that's speaking to you. And, and let me just uh, say this too. Uh, don't just go and say uh, uh, tomorrow, like if you're, if you're tired of your job, I'm not telling you to go in tomorrow and say, I'm sick of my job, I hate you all, and light the place on fire. Like I'm not telling you to do that. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about when you know that you know that you know 
that God is calling you to leave where you are and to go where he wants you to be, you must go. You must go. It's like the kid whose dad, he was a, a, a very successful, um, fast, uh, very successful um, business person in the fast food industry. And so his dad uh, wanted to pass along his restaurant to his son. His dad had made a ton of money in the restaurant business. And, and the problem was that his son, his son didn't like the fast food business. Like his dad's like, I can make you rich, son. Like you won't ever have to worry about a thing for the rest of your life. But all the boy wanted to do, like all that his son wanted to do is he wanted to teach junior high. Like he wanted to be a middle school teacher and he wanted to be the, he wanted to coach the boys basketball. Like that was his dream. That was what his calling was. He felt that God had led him to be a junior high school teacher that coached boys basketball. And he, and he felt called, his, this, this young man felt called to invest in the next generation. He was thinking legacy, right? Like he was thinking about it constantly. And so one day he respectfully went to his dad and, and it wasn't an easy conversation, but he said, dad, I love you. Like, I love you. I love all about, I love that you've taken care of me. You've raised me up into the person I am. You are one of my heroes, dad. But I can't do this anymore. Like, this isn't my passion. This isn't my heart. This is your heart. This is God's calling on your life. God is, you love what you do. You love working in the restaurant business. You love serving people. You love doing that. But that's not me. And so, Dad, I'm giving up. I'm giving up this very lucrative career because I am called to go and teach junior high and coach boys basketball. And in that moment, the boy burned the plow. Like he said, God, he said, Dad, I don't want any of this. I don't want any part of this. And he burned the plow. And so I just want you to, to do this right now. Just look at the person next to you and say, maybe it's time to burn a plow. Just look at the person next to you. Maybe it's time to burn a plow. Maybe, maybe you need to burn a plow this morning. And what do I mean by that? I mean, I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't know what plow God might be calling you to burn. But maybe there's something in your life that's keeping you from serving God. And maybe you're going to have to burn that plow. Uh, if there's a sin in your life that is holding you back, maybe that's the plow that it's time to burn. Or if there's a doubt in your life, you burn that plow. Or if there's a relationship holding you back, guess what? Somebody's going to have to burn that plow. You're not going to let anything or anyone keep you from following God and fulfilling your calling in his life because you don't have to fully understand to obey immediately. You don't have to know all the details to obey. Your marriage is on the rocks. You hear God saying, stay. You're like, God, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm going to be obedient to your calling and I'm going to stay. You don't know what that health issue is going to be, uh, how it's going to turn out. You don't know. But you hear God saying, trust. And so you're going to choose to trust, not knowing all the details. Because remember, those that God, God uses the most are those who hold on to the least. And some of you, some of you are like a little kid. 
and, and you've got your little blankie, right? Your binky. You got your binky and you're holding on to it. And you're holding on to something that keeps you secure. Like, let me just say that it would have been real easy for, and I'm not bragging or anything. Hear me, this is my humble heart. It would have been real easy for us to stay in Florida. It would have been so easy. We had family in Florida. I had a job in the Methodist church. You're guaranteed a place unless you do something just ridiculously dumb. And so I had job security, had family. Jen had job. It would have been really easy for us to hold on to that security, to hold on to that blanket and say, no, you know what, God, I think we know what's best for us better than we do. We're going to stay right here. But sometimes God calls you to burn the plow and to trust and to do whatever he calls you to do. So don't forget this. And this is really big too. You might want to write this one down. To step towards your destiny, you have to step away from your security. So to, to step towards your destiny, sometimes you have to step away from your security. God is going to speak to somebody today and he's going to give you faith. The faith to believe that he's calling you maybe to something completely new. Maybe God's been tapping on your shoulder for a long time and saying, man, I've been calling you to commit to the church. I've been calling you to burn that sin, burn the plow, that sin. I've been calling you to no longer doubt me, but to trust me. And maybe this morning God's calling you to something new because you may be be looking at ox butts all day, but in your faithfulness, in your faithfulness in the small things even, God may call you to do something even greater in his kingdom. Church, I want you to think about this. If there's a sin that is keeping you from living the life that God has called you to live, can you, can you just wrap your arms around this, that being chained to that sin may be keeping you from something amazing that God wants to do in your life? Like not only in your life, but in the lives of people around you. And maybe it's time to burn the plow. Maybe there's a doubt. That doubt has just been taking over your life. Maybe you just haven't fully trusted God. And God's been whispering in your ears. And God's been putting it on big old billboards in front of you. Trust me. And maybe today's the day to start. Start trusting God and stop doubting yourself and God because in that moment that you say yes and trust God guess what God can start using you to do amazing Elijah size things in your life so maybe just maybe there's a plow in your life that it's time to light up and burn so that you might be able to fully trust God and live a life of ridiculous faith. Ridiculous faith. You don't know how many people say to me, just in the past week, how many people say to me, why in the heck would you leave Florida to come to Kentucky? And I said, why wouldn't I? 
like God has called us and we're trusting God that he has a plan that's bigger than anything we could ever imagine or dream of. And then I look at him and I say, you know what? The people in Kentucky are amazing. Like you're good people. And so why wouldn't we? But it would have never happened if we weren't willing to trust God without knowing all the details. So church, you want to have a ridiculous faith? It begins. It begins and it ends with trusting God. That he knows what's best for you. Always better than you do. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you have a plan and a purpose for every person's life in this room. God, that's just a beautiful thing to know. But God, we get in the way. God, sometimes our doubt gets in the way. Sometimes our sin gets in the way. Sometimes us having to have control gets in the way. Sometimes just having to know all the details gets in the way. And Lord, we miss out on having a ridiculous faith because we're not always willing to obey. We want to know what the consequences will be. We want to know what the details are. We want to know every step along the way. And you're just saying, hey, just follow me. Just take the first step. I'll lead you the rest of the way. You just got to trust me. And you got to trust that I'm with you every step of the way. That I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to say, ha ha, look at what you did. I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. Father, there's some people in this room today that you want to use to do amazing things. But Father, we're stalling. Father, we're blocking you because we're holding on to security. We're holding on to a sin. We're holding on to doubt. We're holding on to control. Father, my prayer this morning is for every person in this room is that they would let go and let you. They would let you lead their lives that they would have a ridiculous faith and not see that you're going to do really amazing things through their life. Lives are going to be changed. People are going to be healed. Others are going to come to know you through our ridiculous faith. So God, I pray that you, we would allow you to work in us and through us, that we would just be willing to take the next first step trust you for the rest of them. Here we are, Lord. Use us today. We love you. Let's stand together and let's worship our Lord. If you want to come and spend time in prayer, you're more than welcome to do so. This is your home. This is your house. Come and pray. Spend time at the altar in prayer. If you want someone to pray with you, uh, I'd be honored to pray with you and happy to. Let's worship.